morning CBC let's stand to our feet this morning let's get excited to respond to our God our God is faithful he is loving we respond to that this morning we stand in his confidence as we say come on just one word you calm the storm that surrounds me just one word darkness has to retreat oh yes it does just one touch I feel the presence of heaven just 
Good morning, Cypress Bible Church. You guys can have a seat for just a moment. My name's Nathan. I'm the Senior Adults Director here at CBC, and we are so glad that you have joined us for worship on this Labor Day weekend. 
Uh, if you are a first-time visitor here, we want to extend a special welcome to you. We are so glad that you are here. And we want you to know right off the bat that wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you are welcome here at Cypress Bible Church. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that you feel welcomed and uh, that you will come back. Well, I want to direct your attention to the back of the pews. Uh, there's a QR code there that we like to mention every Sunday, and that is the best way to communicate with us. Uh, whether you're a first-time visitor or a long-time member, if you have uh, a prayer request or you, have, uh, uh, you want information about one of our ministries or uh, you want one of our staff members to contact you, or if you want to sign up for our emails uh, that go out every week, that's the easiest and best way to do that. Just pull out your phone at some point during the service or at the end of the service, and we invite you to, uh, to use that QR code. At CBC, we emphasize four things. Gather in worship, grow in truth, go in mission, and serve in love. Gather, grow, go, and serve in that defines our whole approach to ministry here at CBC, and that's why we like to remind you of those things every Sunday morning and mention them briefly. Well, there's a lot of announcements this morning, so let's dive right in, starting with the fact that this is a busy, busy, big week here at Cypress Bible Church. September is here. That means that the fall ministry season is upon us, and there are no less than six different ministries or informational meetings happening this week at CBC. And so we want you to be aware of all of these and just mention them briefly and let you know where you can go to get more details and information. Starting with the Women's Ministry Bible Study. That begins this Tuesday. There's an option to participate in that both in the morning and in the evening. And then the men's ministry is kicking off Wednesday night, and I understand they're having a big barbecue to kick off that ministry for the fall. Uh, men, if you come out Wednesday night, you will not go home hungry, I promise. Uh, lots of barbecue on Wednesday night. Also, the student ministry's life groups, that's grades 6th through 12th, uh, they start this Wednesday night. And then the extreme teen 5th grade leadership development ministry meeting, that's for both parents and 5th graders, that's on Wednesday as well. Also, mothers of preschoolers, or sometimes we just call it MOPs, uh, they are having an informational meeting this Friday morning. If you are the mother of a preschool-aged child or children and you don't know what MOPs is, we encourage you to check that out. We really want you to be blessed by that ministry. And again, that meeting is Friday morning. And then next Sunday, we're resuming all children's programming at both the 9.30 and the 11 o'clock hour. So to learn more about any of those things I mentioned or to take the next step, we, we in, encourage you to visit our website where all the details are. You can also stop by the welcome desk in the lobby and we can get you the information you need. Uh, speaking of children's ministry, when it comes to our early childhood ministry, so that's uh, kindergarten, that is uh, the nursery, that's uh, pre-K, we still have some needs at both the 9.30 hour and the 11 o'clock hour to open up those ministries fully next Sunday. We want to let you know specifically what those are. Specifically, we need four adults in our nurseries, and I'm told that, uh, again, this is at the 9.30 hour, and those four adults in our nurseries can be either volunteers or paid childhood or child care workers. Um, so if you're interested in that, you want to know what that, that looks like, um, we'll get you the details on that. But for that, those four positions, that could be either one. Uh, and then we need two adult volunteers in one of the preschool classes and one adult volunteer in one kindergarten class. Again, that's all at 930. And then 11 o'clock, we have the need for three adult volunteers, specifically two adult volunteers in one of the nurseries and one adult volunteer in a preschool class. So we invite you to consider that. We're trusting God that he will help uh, meet, meet that need this week. And if you feel like that's uh, an area where you'd like to help us out, we invite you to stop by today in the welcome desk and let us know, and we'll talk to you more about that. Well, this Saturday is second Saturday 
And that means it's time for what we call Second Saturday. And that, of course, is our local outreach. I trust that you're familiar with that. That starts at 10 o'clock here at the church. It goes to about 1. It's not all day. It's just three hours. And uh, you don't have to sign up for that. You just show up. So we want uh, you to know that that's happening this Saturday, and we encourage you to be part of that. And then finally, very importantly, though, uh, is CBC 101. That is starting in two weeks on September 18th. And CBC 101 is a four-week uh, group, a class that meets on four consecutive Sundays. And this is your opportunity. If you're new to CBC, you want to know a little bit more about our history as a church, our approach to ministry, uh, meet some of the leaders, uh, this is your opportunity to do that. But also, not only that, but get connected relationally to other people here at CBC. We get it. We're a big church. A lot of people here, sometimes it can be difficult to know exactly what that next step is. And we want to help you with that. And so CBC 101 is that place. Again, that starts in two weeks on September 18th at the 11 o'clock hour. Well, this morning, Dave Munsinger uh, is back, our care and counseling pastor. He will conclude his two-week series on true spirituality. First, we want to continue with our worship this morning. So, Chad, if you'd continue to lead us. Amen. Good morning, church. Let's stand to our feet. Scripture says in First Chronicles, it says, uh, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His love continued past the cross for you and I. And that's why we respond through our worship. That's why we respond through singing. So today, if, if you're here, you may be tired. Maybe uh, you had a rough week or you're going through something today. The greatest weapon we can use against the enemy is our praise because it keeps our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith today. So today, let's engage. Let's sing out. Let's worship the God who gave it all for you and I. Let's continue to sing. Here we go. We lift it up together, church. Every voice, every heart. Come on. When all I see is a battle, you see my victory. When all I see is a mountain, you see a mountain move. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. Yes, it does. There's nothing to fear now, for I am saved. Every voice in the room lifted up, we say, come on. So when I fly out, Flat on my knees, with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. In every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. That's right, come on. Listen up, say. And if you are can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Come on. For Jesus, there's nothing impossible with you. With all I see are the ashes, you see the You see the answer to 
Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Oh, almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Oh, almighty fortress, oh, you go before us. Yes, he does. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you Stand against the
Let that be a reminder that in the toughest of times, God, we were reminded of your goodness. We are reminded of your faithfulness. We were reminded of what you have overcome, God, so we can take heart, Father God. God, would you speak to us, speak into us this morning, that we would be open to what you have for us this morning, to apply to our lives, God, to shine the light of Christ in the world that we live in. God, we thank you for who you are and all that you have done. And everybody in the house said together, amen. Well, good morning, Cypress Bible Church. It's good to see you and be with you today. We're going to finish up our two-week sermon series on true spirituality. What does it mean to grow spiritually, to grow in godliness? And uh, one of the first things I want to point you to is what we looked at last week is the overarching Bible theme for, to answer the question of what is true spirituality is this text from the Lord Jesus himself when he began his ministry. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Now, he was being really clear here, for he is the king of the kingdom. And since he is king, he was standing there right in their presence and he has come and he has lived, he has died, he's been raised from the dead. So he has taken on human form and he is still near to us by virtue of his word and the Holy Spirit. And so he is the king and he's saying this is his kingdom and this is how his kingdom operates. And this, these 
Two words here are the overarching principles of how a follower of his knows that they are right with God, that they are truly spiritual, that they repent and believe his good news. So that's what true spirituality is. Point number one, we looked at last week, lifestyle repentance. This week, it's daily believing the gospel. And so it's, I like it because it's really simple, right? That's all I got to do to be a Christian. I need to be repenting of my sins, and I need to be believing Christ and his gospel. How simple is that? That's why kids can do it. Um, that's one of the beauties of Christianity is its simplicity, but yet it is incredibly profound. So today's message is called the gospel-shaped life. How is the gospel of Jesus Christ shaping us? And we had just mentioned these two things. And here's the thing that if you are daily repenting of your sin, as God brings it to memory to you, and you, you, you confess those sins, um, we then move into believing Christ and his gospel. And we no longer have to live in fear or pretend that we're somebody that we're not. Because as you're confessing your sins to the Lord, they're known. And if you're believing the gospel, you're not trusting in yourself. You're not trusting in something else. So that's one of the great things that the gospel does for us, is it frees us up to, to live according to God's standards and his holy call on our lives. So story about this is one of my favorite stories. A buddy of mine knows a guy who knows a guy, right? No. Um, the, the, my, my buddy um, was friends with this guy who was a, a, a C-suite guy. This is about 30, about 30 years ago with a major telecommunications company. And he went to Calcutta because he was trying to live the Christian life, but, you know, he just kept, you know, struggling with it. And, 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 and not really ever sure, you know, am I really living for God here? Am I really doing the right thing? So he went to Calcutta. And, you know, this, this guy's a big big deal guy, right? Makes a lot of money, works for a big corporation. Um, a guy like that, if he showed up at any missionary sending agency or any, you know, Protestant parachurch organization, and the president of the missions agency knew that a very wealthy business guy was outside in his lobby, that president of that ministry would say, oh, please come right in, because what could walk in with that guy? A big donation, right? So here's how Mother Teresa handled it. She made him wait a week. You gotta love her. Gotta love her. And finally, he gets an audience with Mother Teresa, and she says, what is it that you seek? He says, clarity. You know, this sense of knowing that I'm doing exactly what God wants me to be doing, and I'm always going to be feeling good and right about it. I want clarity. Here's what the great Mother Teresa did. She laughed at him and said, go back to America. Go to church. Read the Bible. Serve in your church. Love your neighbor. Love your wife. Love your children. Be a good employer. Nobody has clarity. That should encourage you and frighten you all at the same time. Okay, so the point here is, we, we talked about last week, we are sinful people. And your sin operates like an interference in your transmission to God, right? Like your Wi-Fi in your house doesn't always get good reception. 
my kids scream all the time when they have to wait for the Netflix upstairs. Well, we got floors that are an inch thick, covered in carpet. You know, that transmission doesn't always work. And so our sin operates that, where the transmission between us and the Lord isn't always going to be straight, and we're going to be somewhat unsure if we're doing the right thing. And when we're unsure if we're doing the right thing by the Lord, there's a term for that. It's called faith. It's called faith. So let's take a look at Romans chapter 1. I hope you guys uh, got your uh, work booklets. And we're going to take a look here um, at really one of the great passages of the gospel um, in Scripture. So hear now the Word of God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just ask that you would open your word to us, reveal to us the deep and beautiful nature of your gospel and what it means for us to be righteous in your sight and give us a heart that celebrates what you have done for us and let us live in the power of your gospel day in and day out. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the word therefore occurs in the book of Romans 14 times, and every time it does, it's looking back to what he just talked about. And so in chapter 4, he gives an explanation of justification by faith in the Old Testament with Abraham. And that's coming out of... Uh, Romans 3, 24 through 26, where he talks about our justification is through the propitiation of Christ, and Christ is both the just and the justifier of those who believe. So he's wrapping up his thought on justification by faith. And so he's saying we have been justified by faith. We have now, because we've been justified, we have peace with God, and we've obtained access into his grace, and now we which stand. Do you realize right now that you stand in grace in the heavens, in God's court? Before God the Father right now, because you have received Christ by faith, he has declared you righteous in his court, and you stand in grace before him. You can't get outside of his grace. Now, does that make you feel a little bit different as you go through your daily life? It should. Should you view your father as always after you and wanting to punish you? Should you live in fear of God? Should you be traumatized by your sins in your past? No. You stand in grace. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of Christ and his work on your behalf. The Lord, your father in heaven, does not care about your good works. He only cares about the good works of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, which now have been applied to you by faith. This, my friends, is true spirituality. When we had a conversation with our staff on Thursday about um, what is true spirituality and how does an unbeliever believe, view spirituality, our conclusion was that an unbeliever thinks that true spirituality is kind of getting in better touch with your inner self and, 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 and knowing who you are and feeling kind of that good feeling, that warm feeling that, you know, you're really good and you're okay and kind of going a little deeper into understanding who you are. 
That's not true spirituality. True spirituality is what God says of you. Not what you think about yourself, but what God declares of you. And you need to sit and think about that. That's pretty powerful. Because this doctrine that he's getting at here is called justification by faith. We, the word there, we are justified, is a forensic term, meaning it's a legal term. And it meant that one in a, a person in a courtroom was declared, not guilty, declared righteous. It's a one-time gracious judicial act of God. And it's done for all who believe upon Christ. And he declares us to be righteous. That's why you still continue to sin. You are still in a body of sin. You've just been declared righteous. Some, some Christianities will teach, Christian religion or denominations will teach that you're being made righteous. No, the scripture clearly teaches you're declared. Okay? That means you are simultaneously unjust and simultaneously just at the same time. I could give you the Latin on it, but I'll refrain. This is one of the best things that you can really comprehend to gain true spirituality. Our sins are forgiven, we're adopted as children by the Father, and we're given eternal life. The act of justification is where true spirituality begins. Um, and here's the thing, no other religion has such a doctrine. Every other religion will say, here's what we think you need to do to get right with God. You need to say these many chants, you need to pray these prayers this time of day, so many times, you need to ring these bells, you need to do all these things. That's all human effort. God doesn't care about your human effort. All he cares about is the effort of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, done on your behalf. All other religions are man-centered, man works. And Christianity is the only faith system where you have God doing all the work, God declaring people righteous. So every other religion in the world, all it is is advice. Here's what we think you should do as a human being to make God like you and to be acceptable. All other religions are advice. This is the true gospel. This is true spirituality. We stand, he says, in grace. Grace is the currency of the new covenant, the new covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means that we have peace with God, and the eternal, all-powerful God is not against you. He is for you. This is what justification by faith does. God is no longer against you. You are no longer a child of wrath. You are no longer deserving of his displeasure. We live in this grace bubble, and you need to view yourself that way every day. I've been declared righteous, and I've been declared righteous because of the work of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's nothing I add to the equation. I'm simply called to believe upon the Lord Jesus. This is true spirituality. And here's where we're at in the book of Romans, chapter 5. The entire book of Romans is simply an explanation of the gospel. You see there, he starts off in verse 16 of chapter 1. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, 
the righteous shall live by faith. You see, that's what he's getting at here in 5.1. He's saying you've been justified by faith. You have the righteousness of God declared of you. It is not your own righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ applied to you that you receive when you believe upon Christ. And you see, then he continues in verse 18. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. And then he just goes on talking about our sin problem. And then he talks about justification, all the principles of the gospel. Then in chapters 9 through 11, he talks about how the gospel replaces old structures. And then in chapter, and then the third point is in chapter 12, he begins talking about the implications of the gospel. And then 13 through 16, he's talking about how the gospel shapes all of our relationships. So when you read the book of, of, of Romans, what you are reading is a full text explanation of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And so it is by the gospel that we grow in true spirituality. I'm going to, if you've got your workbooklet, you see I just skipped over verses 3 through 5. And you're going to say to yourself, why did he do that? And the answer is because I can. I've got the clicker. No, here's what I want you to do. Yeah, and, and, and what, you want you, what you, I want you to understand is when what I am doing here is in verses 3 through 5, which we're going to come to, when he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, okay? What Paul is doing is a classic Paul method of explanation. He's going down a little rabbit trail. He wants you, he wants you to know how personally justification affects you. And now he comes back in verse 6, and he picks up the theme of the gospel. So I want you to see verses 1 and 2 and how they flow right into 6 through 9 to explain the gospel and how justification by faith is based in the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And then we're going to come back and look at verses 3 through 5 and see how it personally applies to shape your life with the gospel. You with me? Good. For while we were still weak and helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? All of us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? See here the themes of God demonstrating his love for the sake of righteousness. To stand in the presence of God, you must have his righteousness. And because we are sinful and fallen and unrighteous, we need to be able to have righteous standing in his court. And the only way to have righteous standing in his court is to have our sin problem taken care of. And our sin problem is one that is an eternal problem. It required a perfect eternal sacrifice. And that's why Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, had to stand in our place and take the wrath of God. That's why he demonstrates his love for us. Here's the thing. We didn't ask for it. No human asked to be saved. God did it out of sheer mercy and grace. He did it to redeem us 
And as we're going to see, ultimately, for his glory. And we get to enjoy it. Now, when Christ was on the um, cross at Calvary, and he looked down, they were sorting through all of his stuff. They were telling him that he was a loser because he couldn't save himself. They were mocking him. They were insulting him. That was just not a collection of bad people just on that one day in 33 AD. That's basically the scoffing of humanity. People still to this day scoff at Christ and make fun of him. When he looked down at all that, did he say, Father, look how great these human beings are. They're just so awesome. I'm so glad I'm dying for them. No, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Do you see the unbelievable amount of compassion and mercy that Christ has for us, that the Father has for us? How can you doubt for one moment that your Father in heaven isn't for you? When you absolutely did not in any way, at any shape, in any level within you, deserve his love and his mercy, he still died for you because you were too helpless to save yourself. And here's what Martin Luther said about the, and this is the gospel. This is the gospel right here, that God so loved the world that he demonstrates his love, that Christ died for us. That is one of the purest statements of the gospel in all of scripture. Here's what Luther said. He said, the gospel is the main doctrine of Christianity in which the knowledge of all godliness, true spirituality, is comprehended. It is therefore extremely necessary that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into our heads continually. That's right. Jesus died for me. Jesus loves me. He demonstrated this. The God, you, I mean, literally, when you wake up every morning, start going like this with the gospel. Would you please? Because we forget. We are so sinful. You wake up in the morning. What's the first thing you're thinking about? My guess is it's either coffee, your calendar, or the bathroom. You are not thinking, I am a sinner saved by grace. Right? You forget the gospel. Right? Someone says something unkind about you. You go into a tailspin. And you start believing their lies. Rather than believing the truth of the gospel. You need to beat the gospel into your head daily, moment by moment. It's believing the gospel. This is how our life is to be formed. It's a gospel-formed life. And so Paul here, even though he puts it right in the middle, here's what he's saying is the personal benefits to us. He says, not only that about the gospel and being justified by faith, we rejoice then in our sufferings. Why? Because Christ has already suffered for us. We can get through whatever sufferings God has for us because Christ has already suffered on our behalf. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay, these are the implications of the gospel right here and how it shapes and forms our life. And here's how it does it. One, the gospel causes us to rejoice through life's trials. Um, it, 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 that doesn't mean your sufferings and your trials aren't bad or, or, you, or you're supposed to just like act like they don't even exist. No, they do exist. 
but you know the one who's already suffered for you. And you know that the one who has suffered for you, Jesus, will walk with you through your trials, through your tribulations, through your sufferings. You do not go through sufferings alone. Christ is there with you and for you. And that produces endurance. You can, it will then shape your character and you can have hope knowing that the Lord is walking through this with you. And it could be a very difficult mile that you're walking through. But he is going through it with you, reminding you of, of his gospel, what he has done for you, filling you with his overwhelming love into our hearts. And D, he, he tells us that we trust in him, right? As we trust in him, he's taking us through the trials of life. And what it does is it gives us a perspective of grace on all of life, that we see the world through the lens of his grace. We don't see the world through the lens of our sin, through our suffering, through our, all, our own oh, woe is me type mentality. We see the world and other people through his grace because we know that he's justified us and we've been declared righteous. We have all of the goodness of Christ declared of us in the courtroom of heaven. Our Father is for us. There's a great hymn. Um, it's been reset to a new tune sung by Sandra McCracken. It's called, Oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go. It says, O joy that seeketh me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not in vain that morn shall tearless be. There's this hope of the gospel through our trials that, that, that we trace the rainbow of God's love in our life. His promises are not in vain. And that is what then shapes our lives. Paul was shaped by the gospel. He says, I've been crucified by, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what I mean by a gospel-shaped life. The gospel shapes every facet of our life, every relationship. He also said this, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You see, as, our, as we're being shaped by the gospel, who gets the glory? Christ. Not you, Christ. Because we are being shown that by faith, he can change messes, helpless, weak messes like us. Now, here's what the gospel does. As you think about the gospel, as you meditate on the gospel... It begins to shape you, right? You should be astonished every day by the gospel. I mean, I've been, I, I just marked my 40th year of, of walking with Christ. And after 40 years, I can tell you, when I think about what Christ did for me at Calvary, it, it, it astonishes me. It, it hasn't gotten boring yet as a thought. I've had many thoughts in my life, and they've gone away because they bore me. But this thought, this reality that Christ suffered and died for me, it astonishes me. And hope springs from that. And it gives me joy that he's justified me. Right? This is how the gospel begins to shape our lives because we get, we were reminded, no, God's demonstrated his love for us. I had a, an assistant several years ago, Holly Brown, and we were doing one of these things like, how do you know if you're loved? 
And she said, she's, she's not from Missouri, but you'd think she was. She goes, don't tell me you love me, show me. And I thought, well, your husband has got a tall order um, coming up. She was single at the time. Um, but if you're that type of person, God's shown you that he loves you. And this astonishment in the gospel gives us a full heart. And then it causes us, out of the astonishment of the gospel, it makes us move then. We're then able to demonstrate love and forgiveness towards others, regardless of their posture. Some of you think that you should forgive somebody only if they ask you for forgiveness. Wrong. Bad Christianity. Did Christ wait for us to apologize when he was dying for us on the cross? No. Are the way that we're to love and interact with other Christians supposed to be like Christ does? Yes, because that's how the gospel motivates us. So we're to forgive. And I understand if someone does you great harm, you may not want to ask them out for cocktails. I get that. You might not want to be their golfing buddy. Get that. But you can still forgive them. Okay? They might be a dangerous, toxic person and you would be wise to have some arm distance from them, but you can still forgive them, even if they think they're completely right. You are going to have lots of unresolved relationships and issues in your life where you think that you were really hurt by someone, and they'll say, no, that was right. And no matter how much you argue with them, try and get them to see how they hurt you, they'll be like, no, that was right. When you both get to heaven, it will all be resolved. But here on earth, you forgive. You show them love. Why? Because you're astonished by the gospel. And that gives us endurance to live through the trials of life. Here's just one story. This is a guy I know. He was led to Christ by a mentor of mine. We both had the same mentor. His name was B.J. Weber. And B.J. wrote this article about five years ago in the Washington Times. Next Saturday, I'll be at B.J.'s funeral in New York City. B.J. wrote this about Bob Muzikowski. That's the guy you see there. Bob Muzikowski was kind of like a Wolf of Wall Street kind of guy back in the 80s. He was a Columbia grad, and he was a nut. He was doing everything wrong from a Christian perspective, wasn't a Christian at all. Foul mouth, used drugs, everything, right? He gets to know B.J. B.J. brings him to Christ. Bob decides, well, you know what? I'm going to move to Chicago, and we're going to live as close to Cabrini Green as possible. That's, a, that's one of the worst projects in the history of the world, well, at least the U.S. And he starts a baseball league. He's got a, a he, in, in, you know, 20 years ago, he had 1,000 city kids in his baseball league. And then in 2000, he decides, or 2003, he decides to buy this old Catholic school and create a classic Christian school and academy there. It's so popular and famous that the days before Obama got sworn in in 2009, Obama showed up there at his gym to shoot hoops and, you know, say this is, this is what the inner city should look like. It should, you know, be places where, where it's revitalization that's going on. Well, the only reason why that revitalization took place was because the gospel of Jesus Christ got a hold of Bob Muzikowski. And he's saying, I'm going to go into the, one of the worst places, and I'm going to show people in the worst places what the gospel-shaped life looks like. So it affects every area of our life. Now, not everybody's going to be like Bob. This chart's in your booklet, and all I want to say about this is I could spend 20 minutes on this chart. When you are not believing the gospel, that's the, the part above and below the cross there. You're performing Christianity. You're trying to look good. 
You're not trusting in Christ and his work on your behalf. You're pretending you fall into legalism, self-justification, pride. I'm a good, you fall into all kinds of works righteousness, right? Well, I'm a good worker, so God's going to love me. I'm a good family man. God's going to love me. Um, I, I go to church every Sunday. I've got a great attendance at church. That's all self-righteousness, folks. And you're making up for your life, pretending that you're doing good things. It's works righteousness. And then down below, you, you're, you, I mean, I'm sorry that you're performing. Down below the cross, you're pretending. You overlook your sins. Oh, they're not that bad. Or, and you're living out of your insecurities. And so what I'm encouraging you here to do is to recognize where you are sinning and not believing the gospel in your daily life and go back to last week's lesson, lifestyle repentance, and repent of those sins. Repent of when you're trying to perform your Christianity and you're not really believing the gospel. Repent of when you're pretending and minimalizing your sin and overlooking your sin. Okay? This is something that you can talk much more about. I only showed this to show you there are pitfalls in how we don't believe the gospel, but we think that we are. So let's wrap this up. The gospel shapes our life as we rest in Christ's righteousness, not your righteousness, not your good works, not your good testimony, but in the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, we just stand in his grace. I don't stand in condemnation. One of my favorite stories on this is another one by Luther. When Satan would be attacking Luther and accusing Luther of all of his sins, here's what Luther would say. He would say, you dog, Satan. You are so correct on all of the sins that you accuse me of. And guess what? There are far worse sins that I have committed that my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has died for. You have no power over me. Get out of here, you scoundrel. Why? He stands in grace. So when you get those voices in your head that you don't measure up, you're not good enough, you haven't done enough for God, you haven't been a good enough person, and you're comparing yourself to others, and you see that their, their life looks better, and then you heap condemnation on yourself. You're not standing in grace. You're not being reminded of Christ's righteousness and what he's done on your behalf. Embrace God's approval of you, not the approval of men, not your own approval, but God's approval of you, and celebrate that. And then as you celebrate that, demonstrate that to others. You know, a guy told me <clears throat> that he had, uh, he had contracted a bunch of workers for a job, and because of COVID, there was all these restrictions, and they weren't able to work, and they weren't able to fulfill the full measure of the contract, and he was generous to toward them and paid them more than what the contract had allowed for the COVID, you know, days off that the people took, but the people still felt like he owed them more money than what the contract stated. And it was really an argument over one day's pay. And they were saying nasty things about him. And these were people who had been friends of his for many, many years. And he wanted to just let it all go, but he remembered the gospel, right? Christ demonstrated his love. He was loving and kind and generous towards us, even when we didn't deserve it. So he went and paid them for that one day of pay that they thought they deserved that they didn't. That's what the gospel-shaped life looks like. It's, it, it's being generous, it's being loving because we do it from the point of what 
Christ has done for us. So as we conclude our worship here today, um, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And as we come to the Lord's table, let's remember that this is a, a sacred thing that we perform here, that we are remembering and reapplying God's covenant to us, that the body and the blood of Christ is, 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 is what we're partaking of, His work at Calvary. And, and let us think upon that, and we're going to do something a little bit different today. While the deacons come forward, and I'm going to invite them now to come forward, as it's being distributed, we're going to have a song that we can sing um, along with. It's a, it's a um, communion-based song. You may sing along with it, or you may just want to sit there and just meditate on what Christ has done for you and prepare your hearts to receive. And then after everybody has received, then we'll partake together, and I will lead us through that. Of his 
we share the table of the King. As we partake, and as we've just sung, we're meditating on what Christ has done for us. And we are re-remembering the gospel every time we partake of the Lord's body and blood. As we eat of the bread, we're, reminding, we're reminded of what Christ had to do on our behalf. And as we drink of the cup, we are being reminded of his blood that was shed take away our sins. And so as we take together, we're reminded of his words of institution that on the night of his betrayal, he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he prayed and he took the cup and he said, this is the wine of the new covenant in my blood. And as often as you eat and drink of this, you do so in remembrance of me. So let us now, together as the people of God, remembering the gospel, take the body and, and blood of Christ. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you are the sin offering on our behalf. You paid the price that we could not pay. You brought us into the Father's court where we have grace and eternal life. And for this, we give you our eternal praise and our eternal worship. For you are the King of kings, and the good news has come to earth for all of men and all of humanity to believe and to know their God and that they have righteousness with God the Father. Help us to believe, dear Jesus, Help us to sh share this great message with the world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please pass your cups to the center and the deacons will collect. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior on that cursed tree his body church.
you in this moment just thank him for all that he has done for you for sending his son down on the cross to die for you and I now we stand in that freedom we look at our situations our trials not with hopelessness but with hope because of what Christ did on the cross so today we sing this together as one body one church oh praise the name of the Lord our God come on every voice oh praise the to you is following the service here you can come down forward and the elders of our church will be down here um, maybe you're struggling in believing the gospel every day and you'd like for them to pray with you and or maybe you're just now learning about this doctrine of double imputation where your sins have been imputed onto Christ and he has imputed onto you his righteousness maybe you need to learn more about that or maybe you're here and you didn't know that you have a father in heaven who loves you, who stands ready to embrace you because of what his son has done on your behalf. Come forward and learn more about that. Hear now the benediction. May the love of God the Father and the grace of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and forevermore. Amen.